Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now back to 95.7 The Game. We have hit the 11 o'clock hour. The sun is out in San Francisco. We just battled through an overcast and freezing morning. By the way, again, we'll take the cold. When you look at what's happening in the rest of the northern hemisphere, everybody's on fire. But sun is out. We're ready to go. At 11 o'clock, we shift to the National Football League. And in these parts, it's all about the San Francisco 49ers. And for more on that, we go out to our man Eric Crocker from Locked On Niners. Eric, what's going on? And thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, man, thanks for uh, having me on. So, Eric, as camp starts, so, my man, you're saying it's Wednesday, it's Tuesday, right? They open things up? I believe they report Tuesday, officially Wednesday. Okay, officially Wednesday. So, E, what are you looking for? What are some of the keys as we get into camp? What should fans sort of keep an eye on as summer camp for the 49ers is now just days away? Are we saying aside from the quarterback position? Because I think that's the big elephant in the room, right? Like I was trying to, you know what? Up. For the first time in a month and a half, I was trying to not go Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, and it didn't work. <laughs> All, right. All right, so aside from Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, because that's the easy one, right? Like that's the layup, that's the all you. Uh, aside from them, there are a few kind of I think question marks, and every team has these kind of questionable things on their roster. I think overall, Forty Nine have a terrific roster, but one that nickel position, who lines up as a starting nickel? in sub-package day one. Definitely going to be looking into that. Also, uh, the strong safety position. They did sign Odom. Is he going to be more of a, a special teamer, as he was signed to do, or is he going to have an opportunity to play at the strong safety position or at least challenge a guy like Talanoa Hufunga? And then, obviously, the interior offensive line. You have uh, Alex Mack retire. Right guard Daniel Brunskill, and I think you're comfortable with him playing there. And then that left guard, is it going to be Aaron Banks, who played the least amount of snaps for any second-round pick outside of Kyle Trask, who was a third-string quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So there definitely are some question marks. I'm excited to see how those three things shift out. Extrapolating it back, of course, to the quarterback position, that's where this thing starts. And every single throw that Trey Lance takes in training camp is going to be under the eye of millions, right? Every single throw, whether it be in-game or in practice, people are going to break down and analyze from every single angle. But I'm curious, Eric, from your perspective, what is a fair expectation of Trey Lance? Where are you at as far as kind of the floor, the ceiling right now? What do you think is fair of us as fans, as critics, as media members to expect from this kid starting next week? I think for me, it's just seeing how he improves from day to day, week to week, game to game. 
right? I think everyone is going to have these high expectations on what they think he should look like hitting the ground day one. But my thing is, you know, I watched him last year uh, in training camp. Then we watched him in preseason. Then we watched him in the regular season against Arizona. And I remember saying, like, okay, I see where he's at. I see things that he needs to improve on. Can they run a more, I guess you could say, couch in hand offense against in whenever the next time we see him? And if you guys remember back to that Arizona Cardinal game, you know, he ran the ball 16 times and he took a lot of hits. You do not want to see that, right? So going into the Texans game, is it going to look the same as that or is there going to be some growth? And I thought there was a, there was a tremendous amount of growth in which how Kyle Shanahan kind of learned his quarterback a little bit more, started to call different kind of plays. You saw a lot more under center play action. You saw the big throws downfield. You saw him pushing the ball down the field. And I said, okay, I, I, I like the progression I saw from the first start to the second start. Now, once, you know, he's, he's the guy, can you continue to build off of that? So, uh, day one, you know, first week, I, I expect to see some ups and downs, some, some misses. He's still trying to grasp the offense and see the game the way Kyle Shanahan does, as well as trying to learn how to read defenses that are doing more disguising. But I say overall, just how does he, does he continue to improve? And to me, that's, that's the most important thing when it comes to a young quarterback. He is the former NFL football player, now the host of one of the hosts from Locked On Niners, Eric Crocker, who joins us here this afternoon on 95.7 The Game. You know, you talked about that game where Lance carried the ball some 16 times. Trey Lance carried it. They called his number, and that's just way too many, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is out of the building and you know he goes down with an injury, then you got to hand the keys to Nate Sudfield. But I, I, I'm curious how you feel about this. I've, I'm one that's always believed that a good running quarterback is like that of a Russell Wilson. Like You take what the offense is providing you. If they're locked up in man and everybody's covered and nobody's watching me, I'll go run. And I'll do it on my own. RPOs and design runs for quarterbacks, to me, especially when it's Trey Lance, you should eradicate entirely. If things break down, he has the ability to escape. He has the ability to get to the outside and or elongate plays and doing that on his own when he's freelancing. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be more of a, a prudent decision in terms of using him as a runner, just saying, listen, run when you see the opportunity as opposed to, hey, let's go, let's go A-gap on uh, you know, the second play of the series? Right. I think for him it's just kind of learning how to protect himself. So if he can learn to not take those shots straight on, you know, I think you can call a little bit more run plays, but if you're going to run them in between the A-gap, B-gap, and he's going to take a pounding, then yeah, like, nah, get that out of the playbook. If you watch Josh Allen on the Buffalo Bills, they will run design uh, QB powers with Josh Allen. Now he's probably 25 pounds heavier and he's a few inches taller, but they do call those plays, but he also knows how to get down. Even Lamar Jackson, I think he takes off and runs more than any quarterback in the NFL. Matter of fact, I don't know why I said I think he does. He runs more than any quarterback in the NFL. But if you actually watch the games, they can't really get a straight-up shot on him, and he knows when to give up when to go down, how to protect himself. And, again, I don't think you run Trey Lance to that extent. I think that's a lot why 49ers didn't play him as much as most people anticipated, right? They thought, oh, there's going to be all these different QB packages for him. I believe that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers want to develop him as more of a passer and then, okay, if need be, we can throw in the legs a little bit here and there, maybe in the red zone. Sure, but I don't think they want to make that a focal point of how they're calling plays from him for week to week. I think we saw that in the Arizona game. Because I don't think Kyle Shanahan knew how to call plays for him. You know, the whole offense was designed around uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's skill set and what he knew how to execute. 
and then all of a sudden he goes down. Now a guy who has had limited, like very few snaps, uh, with the especially with the first string team, offensive line receivers, whatever. Now all of a sudden I have to call plays an entire game for this guy. I don't think Kyle knew how to do it quite yet. I think that's why it looked like that. I don't expect him to run that much at all. I'd still see about five carries a game for Trey Lance, uh, but definitely not anything close to 16. Eric Crocker, Locked On 49ers. I want to ask you about Debo Samuel specifically because publicly the status, at least to my knowledge, of whether or not he'll be at training camp is currently unclear, even though he's been spotted back in the Bay. His trainer on IG is saying he's going to get paid. But what do you think about, number one, and maybe it's a percentage, what what are the chances that, first, Debo Samuel is at training camp starting on Wednesday, and then, two, the likelihood that a deal and his potential future contract gets done before the end of training camp? Because I know that you know Kittle, Warner, they kind of got their deals very close to the season as compared to you know when free agency starts and, and the, the, you're able to extend guys. So what do you think the chances are that Debo is there on Wednesday as well as he's a 49er long-term before the end of training camp? Well, I think he's definitely there. The way that they've kind of structured this whole CBA thing, if you hold out, like you're going to lose a lot of money, especially come training camp time. So like he showed up during OTA uh, minicamp, he's like, all right, this minicamp practice, I'll show up for this because I don't want to lose out on it. You know, ninety thousand dollars or whatever it was. I think you'll see something to that same extent. Now, he show up. Is he going to be practicing? Right? Is he going to be on the field? Is he going to be full go? I think that's what everybody's going to be waiting to see. If I had to guess, I'd say he will be participating, and maybe they have kind of this thing going where it's like, look, you show up, do your part. We'll figure out contract parts, and you know, before the season starts, we'll have a contract in place for you, and we just got to work on that. But you know, it's a business. The NFL is a business. I understand it. You know, me with my time in with the New York Jets, I remember getting cut because Chris Ivory and Joe McKnight uh, both had injuries and they had to sign a running back. And it's like, oh, well, let's just cut this guy. You know, and so it's, it's the business aspect of it happens. And typically, like, they don't care for about the player then. So if I'm a player and I kind of have a little bit of, not saying, like, you know, he has all the, the you know, he, he, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I can't think right now, but not say he holds all the cards and mm-hmm. they have to do what he wants them to do. But, you know, there is a little bit of something there because you don't want really kind of who was the best player on your team in the playoffs. You don't want that guy who kind of carries you there to be disgruntled and not happy and then let that attitude rub off on maybe some of the other players around him, which I don't think it happens because Debo doesn't come off like that type of player around his teammates and everybody understands what's going on. But you still, you don't, you don't want that type of uh, attitude inside the building. And a follow-up to that would be, if I can speak here, for Debo Samuel along with Brandon Ayuk, where do you think that this 49ers potential wide receiver tandem ranks right now in the NFC? Because I know that they kind of get compared a lot to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, DeAndre Hopkins doesn't right now have really a big running mate on the opposite side, but I feel like Debo Samuel along with Ayuk and the rest of that wide receiving core can be one of the better groups in the NFC, but it doesn't really seem to get talked about much. Where do you think the 49ers wide receivers group is right now should Debo Samuel be on the team? You know, I think if Brandon Ayuk didn't have the slow start to the season like he did, then they would definitely be talked about as one of the best tandems in the league. But a lot of people forget that, right? Like It was like the first six games or so. Ayuk, the targets were way down, definitely wasn't being productive. I feel like there was one game where he didn't get targeted at all. And towards the 
you know, second half of the season, you saw him start picking it up. You saw the targets pick up. Uh, you saw his production go up. And then he finished around, what, 800 yards or so, somewhere in that area. Well, if he didn't have that slow start, we're talking about having two thousand-yard receivers between Debo and Ayuk. So if he can kind of, you know, just obviously you see him working with Trey Lance in the offseason and they're working really hard to kind of build that rapport. If that, uh, you know, continues to develop and then Debo Samuel shows up, Debo is going to be productive regardless because there's just so many different ways to get the ball in his hands. And it doesn't have to be in the backfield. I know he doesn't want to be that that uh, wide back that he kind of labeled himself as uh, after last season. But even on screen routes, and we saw that in the NFC Championship game against the Rams, screen route, uh, screen pass, and he takes it 50 yards so uh, to the house. So I think both of those guys can be definitely dynamic. And I think the bigger issue is, for whatever reason, there's this narrative around the league that, or around the media and social media, that Debo Samuel isn't a pure wide receiver, whatever that is. He plays receiver. He has a 1,400-yard receiver. He's very productive. I think he's one of the best in the league. I think IU, if he starts fast, he can be one of the better wide receiver twos in the league for sure. Eric Crocker, our guest. And, Eric, I'm one of those of the belief that your team is more often than not as good as your offensive line, especially when it comes to your offense. Trent Williams, obviously, he's the standard. He's, he wipes you out at, at the left tackle. You're good. But how confident or rather – what should be the level of concern after Trent Williams when you go Banks, Brendel, Brunskill, McGlinchey? On paper, I'm not very confident. You know, like you said, Trent Williams, you know what he's going to do. And he's getting older. I think we forget that because he just plays at such a high level. But you don't worry about Trent Williams. Now McGlinchey, he's coming off of an injury. Brunskill, I, I think he's serviceable. Then the other two positions, like, yeah, I'm definitely worried. But... The only thing that gives me a little pause in like, all right, Eric, don't worry too much about this, is Kyle Shanahan, somehow, some way, between him, his coaching staff, they've just figured it out. And anytime they have an area on their team where you look at who's playing and you're like, man, this, this should be really bad. It's not as bad. And they figure out a way to work around it and still improve. Last year, I mean, to start the season, there, they played without their starting corners after Verrett went down. So you're playing with backup guys and guys off the street, and they had to play a lot of the season like that. Well, when it was all said and done, somehow, some way, they still had a top six pass defense. So they're able to figure it out. They're able to kind of mask whatever deficiencies they have. Can you do that with the offensive line? I think it's a little tougher. But if any coaching staff has proven to be able to kind of overcome that, I think it's this team. So I am worried about it on paper, but then when I think about who the coaches are, I think they can, they, they can work through that. Eric, my, my last one for you is this. You mentioned spending time with the Jets, and it obviously ended there for various reasons, but I'm I just I'm hoping you can kind of peel back the curtain for our listeners as well as myself. As someone who's experienced the summer getting ready to prepare for training camp in the NFL, where are you at right now as far as you know the players that are getting ready for camp? What is the preparation process? I know it's different for, for different position groups, but if you could just kind of take our listeners through what goes into getting ready for NFL training camp, I think that'd be a great you know a great listen for those at home who are trying to figure out how they should feel about players. Oh man, I mean I know you hear it and everybody laughs about it, but the whole like I'm in the best shape of my life thing, right? Everybody says that. But I truly was in the best shape of my life. You know, I was working out during that uh, downtime between uh, OTAs and training camp. I was doing three workouts a day. Uh, in the morning, I would lift weights. In the uh, afternoon, around uh, 12 noon, I would do my uh, 
on-field drills, my defensive back training stuff, and then later in the evening I do a little bit of cardio. So I was in great shape. I think I showed up at like 7% body fat at 6'2", you know, almost 200 pounds. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys, I think they approach it that same way. I remember one cornerback on the roster, I won't say his name, but in OTA, he was a little round, a little round, a little chubby. <laughs> Uh, he was a five nine guy weighing close to two hundred pounds, and I'm like, dang, like this is how the NFL guys look. And then come training camp, he had an eight pack. So <laughs> guys definitely, you know, they work, they know their bodies, they know how much time off they need. Some guys use the OTAs to start kind of getting into shape, and and that's what I did. Like OTAs with the Jets, it was a uh, they go through different phases, but it, I think it definitely prepared us to really work hard in the summer, and then come training camp, you should be in great shape. I'd say most guys take it serious that way. Uh, some guys, they know their bodies, and they know what it takes for them to get in shape, and they take a different approach. But I definitely worked really hard. Eric Crocker is our guest. Eric, you know, we got Anthony Lynn now who replaces Bobby Turner. Is this going to be a different look in terms of, obviously, Kyle Shanahan and the secret sauce with that with that running attack? But And I don't mean to climb into the weeds and pretend I know what I'm talking about here, but you hear more of sort of this inside zone, and consequently you're seeing – Bigger backs, is that sort of an accurate description now, the Tyrion Davis-Price and the Jordan Masons, that they're getting away from the Raheem Mostert's and these guys who want to turn the corner and burn, but now with maybe Anthony Lynn and this new running approach that you're looking to go a little bit more in between the tackles as far as that zone run approach. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, you talk about Anthony Lynn and my time with the New York Jets. He, He was the running back coach when I was with the Jets, and he definitely is someone that is definitely... Uh, notable for his ability in his run design. Kyle Shanahan, he's definitely that as well. And a lot of the great coaches in this league, they surround themselves with people that can like add to what they do extremely well. And I think Kyle, you know, obviously like he's very dynamic with his run schemes and what he does. Most people say he's the best. Well, to have somebody that can show you a different way to really expand on what it is that you do well, I think that's when you bring in a guy like Anthony Lynn and uh, not just the coach, aspect of what he can do, like mentally, but how he interacts with his players as well. I think Anthony Lynn is great from that standpoint. So that's somebody at the running back they're definitely going to uh, lean on and be able to kind of, you know, take in exactly what it is that he's saying, a guy that played the game, a guy that's coached it uh, at a high level for a really long time. And, you know, they have went to game bigger backs. Uh, Aaron Banks, we talk, I just talked about how he didn't really play last year. Well, are they going to try to do more inside stuff, uh, more power stuff? I said the 49ers, when, when uh, everybody's zigging, they zag. And we saw that last year with Debo Samuel putting him in the backfield. He was a guy that they would run to the edge a lot with. And then all of a sudden, they said, okay, you guys think that's what we're going to do. Now we're going to start doing counters. And they would uh, do toss counters and different things to be very innovative. So I think Anthony Lynn definitely adds to that. And they brought in a couple of big backs to be able to kind of add to how their running back room looks. Eric Crocker, I guess. So when you were back with the Jets, really quick before we let you go, who was under center? Was that Sanchez back in the day? Uh, well, you know, I actually dealt with a quarterback controversy when I was there. Oh, Greg McElroy. Uh, no, it was, it was Sanchez, and then they drafted Geno Smith. Oh, that's right, Geno so Smith. I got to see that whole thing uh, play out, and you know, I got to see how Geno Smith, how he kind of dealt with, I guess a lot of the pressures, right? Trey Lance has to deal with pressures. I saw how Geno yeah. dealt with it. And uh, you can see kind of, you know, it can get to a guy, especially being in that New York market. So uh, I think ultimately what they did was they put Mark Sanchez on IR. So it was like, all right, the, you know, the show is yours, Geno Smith. 
And uh, they ended up winning eight games that year, which is crazy. I think that talks that speaks to how good of a coach uh, 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 Rex Ryan was. I think he's one of the best coaches I've ever been around easily. And uh, he got those guys those guys fighting. But yeah, Geno Smith played uh, Matt Sims. Matt Sims started a game or two oh, man. that year. Who is not Chris Sims that we hear on TV? It's his little brother. So you know you typically don't want to get that far down on the quarterback depth chart. But yeah, those guys were they were all there. And or is Geno Smith still hanging on? Maybe the starting quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Will. Yep. We'll find out. All right. Hey, my man, Eric Crocker, great stuff. Let's catch up during the year. Enjoy the week, and, and good job. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks that is Thank you. the one and only Eric Crocker talking about the San Francisco 49ers as well as the New York Jets. By the way, my tagline, and this is how juvenile I am. Brian, are you ready for this? I think I may have already unveiled this. Anytime. If I was a local sportscaster in New York City, and Zach Wilson throws a touchdown pass for more than, I don't know, 40 or 50 yards. You know what I'm saying? Zach Wilson throwing bombs, banging moms. Huh? We like it? <laughs> Do we like it? All right, I'll move on. Oh, you might you might have a hill there to die on, Dan. <laughs> As a play-by-play guy, I can say that 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 one may not fly with the Fox or CBS executives upstairs, and and as a TV person, I know you that as well. So I, I'm gonna leave that one alone. But I I'll do. Put it away. Well, I do think that. But think of it. Think about what Eric Crocker has seen behind the scenes. As far you know, we talk about the Jets as being the images of dysfunction, and you know maybe they had an eight win year that year, but he got to see yeah. what goes on behind closed doors in an organization that a lot of people laugh at as, as far as major market teams are concerned. I, I think if you just talk to Eric for half an hour about the different stuff that he saw and ways to not run a franchise or ways to not do things, like you pff, longer than a half hour, the guy could carry an entire show. Well, it's often overlooked because we always focus as fans, as the players on the field, right? We want to know, your quarterback's good. All of this starts at the top. We talk about culture, and you think about the Golden State Warriors. It's Lakin, it's Myers, and then it trickles on down to Kerr and the players because they they are sort of essentially they they emanate the sort of personality or represent the personality of of the club and or the executives. They're down to earth. They're smart, cerebral players for the most part. Same thing to the Giants to a certain degree, but I think that when you think about the Forty ers that yes, you should be not spoiled, but thankful that you have smart, well-adjusted people that are pulling the trigger at the most important decision-making when it comes to the 49ers. And you don't have to look any further than that of the New York Jets, than that of the New York Giants, than that of the New York Knicks. Uh, there's something to be said. About, we don't, who the hell wants to talk about owners and GMs and executives when it's this time of the year? You want to focus on players. But believe you me, the trickle-down theory when it comes to sports in terms of the environment and culture is a real thing. Oh, it is. And that's, that actually sparked a question I have for you. And we can continue it to the other side if we want to really get into it. Is As far as owners, and yeah, they're not role models, but they do lead by example in a way. Do you think Joe Lacob is more akin to Stephen Curry or Draymond Green? Hmm. Wow. Which spirit animal do you think, Joe? <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah. How about uh, how about neither? I think more. Wow. I would have to say Draymond. I think he's got a little dog in him. 
I think he's got I think he's a little bit more aggressive and he has to be coming from that that financial world of his. You have to be a little bit ruthless. Yeah. You gotta have to be somewhat immoral. Not that Draymond is, but I mean you gotta step on some people to get where you're at, Joe Lake. When I think of Steph is such a good dude. I mean, that dude has no warts, man. I, I really, I don't think when people aren't looking, I always hear stories about Steph, and this is when you know someone's genuine. When nobody's looking, do you do the right thing? And there are talks about how when he's talking to parking attendants, pulling his rig, and this is going back in the day, like five, six years ago, and he just gets into genuine conversations. This isn't in front of an audience. This is not in front of a nationally televised audience. There's no one around. Just someone like happened to see this guy having a, a serious you know, not just one of those gratuitous, how are you today? Thanks for parking my rig. But uh, how the kids, what's going on? And a genuine conversation. I bring that up to say this, that I think that he's a, a real guy. And I think, Joe, not that Joe Lacob and, and Draymond aren't, but I think the similarities there in terms of we got to do what we got to do uh, in order to stay ahead in this world. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think he's more leaning towards Draymond than Steph, which is why I brought it up in the 510 from the Comcast text line. It's, I think brings up a great point. Lakeup is more Dre because he'll let you know when he's right. But I would also extend that to he'll also let you know when he's wrong, which Draymond does do. Now, I, I know it kind of gets marred in all the bragging that we kind of associate Draymond with and the type of uh, boasting that a lot of people highlight when it comes to Joe Lakeup. But he also will fess yeah. up. He hasn't been wrong a lot, and that's a credit to him. But when he is wrong, he will let you know that he is in the wrong. And that, to me, is why he's more of Draymond, is because as much as you know, Steph will let you know when he's wrong, but he doesn't brag about himself, really. He doesn't, except when he has his, you know, he has a double bourbon in hand at the ESPYs. He'll let you, he'll let you know a little <laughs> bit about him. But, but Lakeham, to me, is more akin to Draymond. That's, that's why I brought that up. I want to get into Joe Lakeham. I'm glad you opened this up. I want to talk a little Joe Lakeham when we continue and how he's just getting screwed by the NBA. Lakeham, warrior talk, and we'll get back to the San Francisco 49ers as Dan Avone and my man Evan Giddings continue on 95.7 The Game. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. 
It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now back to 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings and Dan Avon along with you here on a beautiful, what is turning out to be an absolutely gorgeous Sunday afternoon. What you were just telling me at the break, what did Aaron judge? He just went deep again. How many has he got on the year? Yeah, he just hit a ball 460 feet for his 37th home run of the year. Man's there, on pace to break the Maris record. Yeah. You talk about betting on yourself. Like that was <laughs> that was dicey, man. If the Yankees give you an offer, typically it's, you know, there's not a lot of guys that say, no, I'm not signing on the dotted line. We'll, we'll revisit this. And the exclamation of that is, on the day of his arbitration hearing, on the day where your lawyer walks in and says, my client is worth this dollar figure, because in arbitration there's no middle ground. It's either you get this or you don't, or you take what the team gives you. He hits a walk-off on the day of arbitration. <laughs> that is the ultimate I'm betting on myself. That's what you call leverage. Yes. Going into a meeting. Yes, it is. Well, there's some talk, speaking of Aaron Judge, that obviously played at Fresno State, grew up a giant fan, dare I connect the dots. Mm-hmm. I would rather go that route than trying to onboard Juan Soto, if that means gutting my farm system. Because you can't afford to gut your farm system because you got nothing... The Giants team is so hodgepodge. It's like a bunch of dudes, as we have talked about. And then what? You're going to have Soto? Soto and you should call it Soto and the eight coconuts. That's what your baseball team should be called. I mean, you, as opposed to, I mentioned the Dodgers. He goes into right field, but he's part of the puzzle. You still got Freddie Freeman. You got Trey Turner. And by the way, Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. Oh, yeah. And our right fielder happens to be Juan Soto. The Giants, it's just, it's sort of miscellaneous. It's, it's nonsensical. But Aaron, I'm sorry, but you give me Aaron Judge. And now, you know, I got an anchor, and I still have that foundation potentially coming up, the Lucianos and the Harrisons and company. Uh, I would rather get a free agent than a trade, is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. And I do think, even if, I mean, he's not, but let's say Aaron Judge was on the trade block, he would also cost less than a Juan Soto because, I don't know if you know this, Aaron Judge is 30 years old. Yeah. He came up as a rookie at age 25. Like, he wasn't, he was a highly touted prospect at the end of his minor league time, but he was not a big must have he wasn't a, a Bryce Harper right so Aaron Judge to me is more in a weird way you know he's he's acquirable for a lesser cost that is the allure of him although I don't think that there's any way he would leave New York for the reason that we just discussed is he's hitting 37 home runs in a band box where he can basically hit a home run to right field with one arm that's why he will never leave Yankee Stadium in my opinion but Juan Soto is I think it has the potential, and maybe this scares Giants fans, maybe it scares Farhan, but there's a Barry Bonds 2.0 potential in the sense of, you got Barry Bonds, yes, to, to come over from Pittsburgh at age 28, but then you give yourself, I know there's some extracurriculars involved, but you give yourself a 10-year period then where you have arguably the best hitter in baseball, Juan Soto I think applies, where you give yourself a chance to then recruit. So even if you're sacrificing your farm system, you get more guys that want to come play with with Juan Soto. And I know the Giants are trying to do the opposite, where they bring up their homegrown core, 
Then they bring in the pieces that want to come play with these young studs. But if you can go get a young stud, that to me is is the first thing on on your checklist. Like number one, you need you need a face. You need, and most importantly, you need an everyday face. You need a guy that's going to hit against lefties in the ninth, righties in the first, and everything in between. And that to me is why Juan Soto, if you can get him, is worth potentially mortgage. Like, like if you're setting yourself back from the 11th ranked farm system right now to 20 or 25, that to me is a mortgage I'm willing to pay. And we had talked about off the top when it comes to proven and unproven talent. The Dodgers have given up guys at every trade deadline, but none of those prospects, at least, I mean, maybe you got to give them a couple more years, but none of them have come back to haunt the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, and again, it's the same thing when you talk about Sean McVay, the other team in Los Angeles. You want a first-round pick? Good. Give me Jalen Ramsey. You want a first-round pick? Good. Give me Von Miller. I'm winning Super Bowls right now. What are those first-round picks? While they sound sexy, you have to follow that up to find out exactly what did that translate to in terms of a player. I think sometimes we get enamored with the idea of first-round or top prospects. But that's where player development enters the equation because the Dodgers, as much as they continue to ship off top guys last year, the Trey Turner deal, they paid a heavy price for Trey Turner. Now, they knew that he wanted to stay in L.A. long-term. They knew that they didn't want to give Corey Seager the near $200 million plus that the Texas Rangers did. But you gave up Josiah Gray, who by all accounts looks like a, a great young pitcher, could potentially turn into a Cy Young candidate, as well as Kybert Ruiz, who no one knows about, but he's a switch hitting, you know, bat with he's got a good glove. He could be potentially, you know, your your next catcher. The Dodgers have that in Will Smith, but Kybert Ruiz is a great young talent. So they paid a lot to get their current starting shortstop. But they're not worried about it because they no, got more guys coming. Exactly, exactly. They got more guys coming up the pipeline that Sick. are gonna turn into Kybert Ruiz or Cody Bellinger or Gavin Lux. Like they get to pick and choose who they sell off because they have so many developing in the system and they continue to develop them. I look at a guy like Tony Gonsolin. Granted, he got lit up in the All-Star game. Shout out Vacaville High. But he was also a guy that, coming out of St. Mary's College, was like a 7th or ninth round pick. Didn't really have a ton of tools outside of being a supreme two-way athlete, and they turned him in to the dominant 11-1 pitcher that he is right yeah. now. So... That's where I'm looking at Farhan, and I'm saying, dude, I get it. Whether you want to go trade for Soto, fine. Whether you want to try and sign Judge, fine. You come up short, I'm good. But as long as you you got to find a way to get more internal development. No so it doesn't matter where guys drafted. I just want to know what the end product's going to be. I want to know that when he goes to Richmond AA, when he goes to Sacramento, when he goes to Eugene, that he is getting better as a player and that he develops into the, the homegrown core that you keep selling us. You went to Vacaville High? Uh, no, no. T- t- Tony Gonsolin did. I played in college with a guy who went to Vacaville. I was going to yeah. say, all yeah. right. Let's move on and talk about Joe Lacob, which yes. we did at the break. Just for, I just had to get this out of the system. I don't know how we got on Joe Lacob, but we did. And Joe Lacob just getting hammered. Obviously, he got that $500,000 fine, the repeater tax. He's absolutely right. And this idea, because I think the common fan thinks of the Golden State Warriors purchasing a title. Checkbook wins. Dude, these are their players. There is nothing more homegrown than the Golden State Warriors in professional sports in terms of championships right now. To conflate them with the before-mentioned Los Angeles Dodgers or teams that go out and try and purchase that title that have players you know, from 
25 different teams. It's just simply that's the best that the market has to offer. And, oh, by the way, we're a big market team. We can afford it. The Golden State Warriors are doing it with the same three dudes going on a decade. This is unheard of. This is the guys that they drafted. These are the guys that you talk about developing. Why then? First of all, they're not purchasing crap. He's just paying this ridiculous tax. Why are you taxing and or penalizing a team and or an owner who I think is doing it the right way? I think he is, but where the NBA has an issue, and I I kind of understand it is, the Warriors are in a position where they get to have their cake and eat it too. And that's not the case for a lot of big, or sorry, I should say small market teams. Small market, by the way, is what the Warriors were kind of looked at for a long time. And so they're kind of redeveloping, obviously, their their net worth as far as what the team is valuable. Their value brand. At. Yep. It, it's like a thousand percent since the time Joe Lacob got there. So I, I do see where NBA teams are mad, not at the fact that you can retain homegrown talent, which I think you should be able to do, but it's that in a two-year window, when Stephen Curry misses an entire season, when Klay Thompson misses two entire seasons, that you have the ability to continue to bust out $100 million for two players that aren't on the floor. And that, to me, is where there's a little bit of an imbalance of, if that was the case in... Portland, if that was the case in New Orleans, if that was the case in Memphis, I don't know if those owners would be willing or have the financial means to be able to shell out that much dough. And I, I, I could be wrong. Joe Lickup could be listening. He could totally disagree with me. That's fine. But I do understand where some of the smaller market teams are a little disgruntled at the, at the fact that the Warriors have the ability to keep the guys that they've brought in through what Ever they've gone through, through the ups, through the downs, and there's less decisions that they have to make that other teams do, and that's where I can see a little bit of pushback, even though I generally agree with the overall consensus that if you get guys, if you draft them and you develop them, you should be able to keep them. I think that the NBA is trying to dissuade free agents from you know bouncing and trying to go different places to win with each other, but they also have to kind of, like, it, it is unfair in a little bit of a way. If you draft six All-Stars through the through the cap, it, it is, like, there is a competitive imbalance if you are able to maintain all six of those All-Stars even though they're yours. Like, I know it sounds unfair that you might have to think about choosing between, I don't know, Clay or Poole or Wiggins or whoever else, like choosing, but that's also the way that sports has always worked, especially in cap sports, in football. You have to make a choice. If you're the 49ers, are you going to sign DeForest Buckner long-term? Or are you going to trade him now and try and get something that can replace him in the medium? If you're in basketball, there are different areas in which you have to make choices, usually financial ones, and the, the Warriors don't operate under that, you know, that basis. So I can see where people have an issue with an owner that isn't afraid to cash out the way the Dodgers do in a sport where there's a cap for the rest of the smaller market. Yeah, no, it's well said. I think that for me, maybe this is just my own simplistic interpretation of competitive balance, is that you don't want the big market teams or the teams that can afford it just to simply write that check and go out and purchase a winner every year simply because they can. They can go out and just get whatever it is that baseball, football, or basketball has to offer, 
And then the smaller markets just simply can't compete. Hence the word competitive balance. So they want to limit that. Like you just can't go out and purchase yourself a title. And I think the counter to that is Joe Lacob is saying, and you, your point is well taken, but I think that Joe Lacob is just simply saying, that's not what I'm doing here. I'm just simply, I was the, we were the ones who were intuitive enough while Minnesota and everybody else, not everybody else, but six other teams passed on Steph Curry. You know, we were the ones that decided to draft Draymond. We were the ones that got this kid out of Washington State while other teams passed on him. Why? What is it that we did wrong? Yeah. And we've kept them all these years. To me, competitive balance has always been about you cannot go out and just simply because you can afford it, purchase the best free agents or go out and get the best talent that's available and just hone them in on one market because – Again, there is that quote-unquote imbalance when it comes to other teams trying to compete, and they just simply can't do it if you're in Denver or wherever. All right, enough of, of Joe Lacob. We'll just, I'm hoping that Draymond, Joe, Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, they go on vacation. Just, dude, go get drunk somewhere. They man. deserve it. Right? They absolutely deserve and it. And I guess more so Draymond. Draymond, if you drop another podcast next week, and I love him, gives me something to talk about, and I do think they're good. i got to be honest with you. I think he's good at what he does. But my man, take the edge off. Get the hell out of here. You and that podcast, just take a break. Although he'll probably drop that thing from the Bahamas, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it doesn't seem to matter where Draymond <laughs> podcasts from. He could be in... Saint-Tropez, he could be in the Alps, he could be in Missouri. Like, I have no clue where Draymond is, but he always seems to be... Remember, he said, hey, I'm going to keep giving you these podcasts, whether you like it or not. And so whether he's in Antarctica or North America, they will be coming twice a week. Yeah, no, and I can appreciate it to a certain degree. I noticed, though, because I listen to these things, he's he's beginning, it's not only seldom, but he's not doing it at all now over the last two. He hasn't mentioned, what is it, new media. Like, I think he's sort of... yeah. Distance, distancing himself from that term. Well, maybe also because there's been less pushback <laughs> from the old media, so he doesn't have to call them out as much. I know that there was, uh, I think there was an old media, new media reference dropped at the ESPYs uh, earlier this week. Was there? Drone. Yeah, because, well, so Steph comes back from break, and there's Draymond setting up his parodied but live broadcast, his live podcast from... Los Angeles at the ESPYs, and it's you know it's a bit they're having fun and they're making jokes, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Draymond, along with uh, Lorel, how uh, Lorel and Steph, made some references to the old and new. Eight 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 nine five seven nine five seven zero is the phone number. Let's get out to uh, my man in San Francisco. Joe Lacob joins us now. Joe <laughs> wants to talk about small teams. Joe Lacob, thanks for joining us. Or is this the wrong Joe? This is the one and only Joe. How, did you go for a nice swim? Oh, today? it's this Joe. The Joe. Joe, I was yeah. in the water at 7.30. It was slack. There was no ebb. There was no flood. It was void of seals. It was one of those, I'm telling you, it was spiritual, my man. How about you? That's that's fantastic. I haven't gone. I had some wonderful risotto last night, so it was. Uh, things have been good here. Was this so the, usually, well, tell me about are, the marinara sauce. How did that okay. work out? Oh, I, I, I have two other jugs that are frozen. I, I worked through my first jug. I'm going to thaw some out, and so I'm still grinding through it. You know, it's, it's, it's life. You get the, a good marinara, you can use it all the time. The only problem, though, I for, the only problem, yeah. Joe, you have with your marinara sauce and the two jugs that you just referred to is that one of them doesn't have a little label on it that says, in italics, for Dan. 
<laughs> I could do that, Dan. You know, it's like it's called ship. You know, ship. You know, that's why they have you know delivery services here. So I want to first of all, you know, talk about this at a at a macro level. I get irritated when the media and all of all sorts kind of, I think, repurposes and repackages the gaslighting that teams do, which is we can't spend, we can't afford. It's most of the time we don't want to. You know, yes, I know that there are cap situations, but in baseball, you can if you want to. You can resign your people. You can spend more. But they... The teams want to re- they gaslight many of their their fan bases by saying we can't, and I want to stop that. In these discussions that we can't afford it, say we won't, we, we don't want to. Spend. If it's fine, if they don't want to spend it, it's fine, but don't push it upon that it's a financial liability for us. And second thing, I just at a broader level, I. I don't care about small market teams. I don't care <laughs> about competitive balance. I don't care. This is entertainment business. I, I, I want the teams to be in the top 20 or top 30 wealthiest cities, uh, top 20 or top 30 wealthiest people so they can pay and entertain. Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma, has 4 million people. There's less people in the entire state of Oklahoma than in the Bay Area. So why did you even put a team and allow a team to go to Oklahoma City, this teeny tiny with a small revenue, and then put it on us to say, oh, we, you know, we can't afford it, our, our fans can't afford it? It's not right. I didn't say right, you can do whatever they want to, but I don't care about this. These guys are wealthy, they have revenues, and Portland, Portland is owned by the Allen family, Microsoft. They're richer than Steve Ballmer. They can afford, they can dig in their pockets and pay if they want to. So enough of that. Back to Marinara. No, I appreciate it, Joe. I don't mean to hop on on your, on your, your two's conversation. I feel like Dan's been cheating on me with you. Um, but in that case, why would there be a team in Oakland ever? If, if, get, a, get an owner who's willing to spend, and if not, then have them move out. But based on, but based on your criteria, there would not be a team in Oakland because it's a small market. If they're if, Oakland's a big Oakland's a bigger market than Oklahoma City. Oakland's a big city compared to Oklahoma City. It's bigger than than Portland. It's it's not it's this team this this has the whole East Bay. This is part of the Bay Area, one of the, one of the wealthiest places in the entire United States of America. Uh, who says they're a small market? When the A's moved there in the, in the, in the late sixties, yeah. Oakland was a fledgling yeah. town. It was an up and coming city. It was not a large market. Right. So I'm saying based on that the business models and the media models between now and the late sixties is completely different. Do you agree? Or yeah, that's a good point. No, I I would agree. So then why did it, why did it, why did they move out of Seattle? Who, who did, who move out of Seattle? The supersonics. uh, uh, Portland, because their owner wanted to do move out of it. This whole thing about a, a stadium, they didn't want the stadium to be paid for. Right? Didn't they? Didn't Oklahoma City not uh, Seattle not want to pay for the, the, the new stadium or something? Yeah, no, you're right. It was Key Arena. They wanted. Yeah, but I'm saying you, you are you dig into your pocket and pay for it. But by by having teams only in major top twenty metropolitan areas like you're talking about, you are ostracizing yeah. an, a large group of fans, which I think is kind of the reason, in some ways, why baseball is dying because there's such a price tag just to even get into the building. 
And I understand but economics do- are different 50 years ago from now. But if but if we're operating on on your you know criteria for teams, there are going to be a lot of areas, even at some point, ones around the bay, in which they will not have a team to root for, and they're going to have to go be a Yankees fan or a Dodgers fan or like. So I, I don't necessarily abide by that, Joe. That's 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 where I come. That's where I come in. But, but how how do most of these in, these businesses make money? It's it's media sales, and those sales are to New York uh, based you know, ABC, NBC, LA, where the money goes to. They're selling a package of media, entertainment, and web to the broader nation, not just their local area. And many of these are sharing revenue to uh, a broader like football, broader sharing across and revenue to everyone. People in other parts of the nation are watching Oklahoma City or Portland if Portland had good players. So why then say, oh, we have to put people in a small market if the broader nation nowadays is the main way revenue is generated? No, it's a good point. I think Joe brings up an interesting point, and as as well as you do, Evan. But why? I guess when you're thinking about the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Lakers or the Knicks or quote-unquote Chicago and the big markets. It's why do I have to worry about and or revenue share with the Charlottes of the world or the Oklahoma cities of the world? Or even you mentioned the Oakland A's who are, you know, if that's a small market team. And one of the reasons why everybody goes after their ownership group is because they they just been sucking off the, the Major League Baseball and, and that revenue share and they're putting it in their own pocket, clearly not putting it towards whether it's the stadium, well, they have no stadium, but putting it towards their own team and or improving the team. So I guess there is an argument to be made that sports, maybe they didn't create this, is about the haves and the have-nots. And it, it wasn't the Los Angeles Dodgers' fault that they created a team in Tampa Bay and how these smaller market teams often, uh, again, the Oakland A's serve as the worst example of a team that is taking money from the Dodgers and the Yankees and taking this revenue and not putting it towards their own team, but rather in their own pockets. And I, I understand that. More, I was more getting at why the Warriors moved from San Francisco to Oakland. Like, if you are in that big major market, I understand Joe's point. The 60s are far different than what they are today. But there wouldn't be teams that we love around the country. I know not everyone is No, I, from, I hear you. But there, those teams would not exist without competitive balance and the things that Joe, at least from what I was taking away, wants to do away with. So why don't we just go back to the 1950s where there's eight teams in the <laughs> NBA right. and the Boston Celtics and the L.A. Lakers can compete every single year for the title. Is that Because that sounds like what he wants. He wants, all I want to be is the best. All I want to be is the best. Okay, I want to be in the top ten of everything. Well, you know what? That's unrealistic. That's not the way the world works. I'm sorry. So we should just go back to having... Five teams play for the title every year, which is what sounds like he thinks happens anyways, and do away with these small market teams because no one cares about small-town America anymore. And because we're here in San Francisco, we got our skyscrapers, we got Transamerica, we got our fog that goes away, we got our marathons, we got things that no one else seems to really give a rat's ass about except for us because this is ours. It just comes off as selfish, and it comes off as you don't care about anyone besides yourself. That's, That's the way I take it. Drop that mic, young fella. No, well said. And I think that there is a level of, you know, certainly a level of truth to that. But I also can hear what it is that Joe's saying. So there is there's the imbalance. And sometimes when you're a big market team, you know, why you should give a rip about some of these other smaller markets. But Ed makes a good point as well that, hey, listen, man, 
How are we supposed to be competitive? And sometimes the darlings of sports are that underdog that gets to a World Series and or a Super Bowl, the Cincinnati's of the world, going up against the Giants and the Los Angeles Rams. That sort of imbalance, I think, makes things so much more exciting, which is really sort of the bane of sports when you think about it. Well, the Golden State Warriors are an anomaly. Like, they were a quote-unquote, maybe not small market, okay, in the Bay Area. Well, I get that. They have, finance, whatever. They went from being the Sacramento Kings to being the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, but that that transformation doesn't get to happen unless there are the rules and regulations set in place for them to be able to... Like, sure. So th- that's all I'm saying is, like, I just think there's a lot of revisionist history surrounding specifically the Warriors as far as, okay, well, now we're on top. How can the league, you know, figure out how to keep us on top? It's like, well, you already did it. That's what makes it so impressive is the fact that you were able to succeed in the area that the era that you did over the time that you did against the quote-unquote blowback of competitive balance or just like, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know. No, no, there's imperfect, there's certainly imperfections when it comes to competitive balance, but eradicating entirely to your point, no, we shouldn't do it. All right, we continue here on 95.7 The Game. We are going to get into a little, uh, well, we'll open it up, man, an hour's left. I also, I threw that out there, rivalries, are you into the Dodgers and the Giants? What are the biggest rivalries right now in the Bay Area? We will wrap up the show when we come back. Evan Giddings and Danavone on 95.7 The Game, not your small market station. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.